Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me in this next installation of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. Today, we have Sally with us. Welcome, Sally. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, um, I appreciate you being here. Why don't we just start off? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, what's your background? Uh, what part of the country you're living in? Those types of things. Okay. I have lived all of my life in Michigan. Um, Western Michigan is kind of where we reside. Um, I've been married for 40 years. I have two, uh, two daughters. Uh, one is 38, one is 35, and they're both married with kids. Um, I uh, trained um, to be a registered nurse, and I worked in the hospital for 30 years. I stepped away from that job um, to help with my first grandchild. Tell me, tell me about some hobbies. Tell me some things you enjoy doing outside of taking care of grandkids. Sure. We, I guess growing up with our kids, we liked nature. We took a lot of nature walks. So that's one of the things we do. Um, we have a little vacation place an hour away from where we live. It's on Lake Michigan. So we enjoy uh, walking up the beach. I'm not one to um, lay in the sun. I don't like that, but walking up the beach, we love to do that. And your is your husband working or retired? He is um, getting close to retirement age. He's 64. I am 61. So his hope is to work a little bit longer because I am on his insurance. Okay. Um, so yeah, his, his hope is to work another few years if possible, but um, yeah. Well, great. Uh, one of the reasons I was so interested in talking to you when we first uh, got in contact was you're at a stage where you can see some potential for some issues, or maybe you're having a little, uh, a few issues already um, wondering about, you know, X, Y, you know, Z, if the, the algorithm, if this happens, then this should happen. And and really getting involved with that. So can you just give us an idea of um, the significant elders in your life, who they are and um, okay. what some of your, your issues are, concerns are about them? Yep. So basically I was talking with my husband last night. We've been married 40 years and four years into our marriage, we started um, having difficulties with parents. Um, his parents are now um, deceased, but his father started struggling four years, you know, into our marriage. And he just had a lot of um, bizarre, sad things that happened, you know, to him. He, he um, really struggled with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, very bad, chronic pain, um, very debilitating. He really wanted to retire soon. Um, you know, because of his ailments. So um, he was so desperate, he made some poor financial decisions and they lost lots of their, their money. And so that was just kind of, kind of hard to, uh, was agonizing for my husband to watch that happen to his, his father. Um, he finally ended up with a um, diagnosis of congestive heart failure and then he had other just bizarre health issues. They could never really pinpoint um, his issue. He ended up with a trach for breathing. 
And then the last few years, he finally got a diagnosis of a rare um, lymphoma called um, Waldenstrom's, and um, that eventually took his life. So he passed away in 2003. So 20 years, you know, that of our marriage, we watched that. Then my husband's mom um, started struggling, and she lost a son in 1972. So this little boy was about 10 years old and she never really got over from um, the trauma of losing a child. And so she kind of developed kind of a depression and just, she liked to live in isolation. She did not interact a lot. And so that was kind of hard on the family because we were her support. And she also chose not to drive. So um, when my husband's dad could no longer drive, you know, all the burden of um, transporting and getting her what she need, needed was put on her family. Um, the good part of that was there was another brother slash sister-in-law who helped with that. And so we didn't have to do it 100%. But um then the end of her life, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's and some swallowing issues. And, um, but she was, yeah, she really um, balked at going to an assisted living facility and she lived home. So that was kind of stress for us to think, you know, is she okay? And then she started having more crises and having to go to the hospital and then she would probably go into a rehab facility for a few weeks. And then um, with home health services, she was always able to like squeak out of, you know, those settings and get back home. And so then we had to, you know, kind of worry about her again. And then one week she called an ambulance three times and was brought into the hospital and at that point, we just told her, you know, you need to go to assisted living. And she finally agreed. And um, she lived, she seemed to perk up a little bit during the year that she was at assisted living. She found a friend and it just kind of, yeah, helped her emotionally. But then she developed some um, some more significant health issues ended up in the nursing home and then she passed away. And that was about four years ago. She died in the beginning of uh, 2019. So she at least, you know, avoided the COVID scenario. Yeah. Um, my parents, so they're the ones before, before that are living. Your parents, can, I, can I ask you a few more questions about um, yeah. your husband's parents? So sure. what was the care setting that your father-in-law needed? Did he, uh, stay at home the whole time? Did he end up going to an assisted living or nursing facility? Yeah, he pretty much stayed home, but then he would also have some health crisis. He would, he would get pneumonia a lot, go to the hospital, get treated, go to rehab for maybe a month and then end up at home. And my um, mother-in-law, I, you know, I have to hand it to her. She actually dealt with a trait and trait care. Um, so yeah, they, they did live, um, you know, in their home, which yeah, was kind of a worry to us because, you know, they, 
they needed, um, you know, they lived an isolated life and we were their kind of their backup. And um, yeah, it was just kind of a sad scenario. How, how far did they live from you guys? Not too far. I would say probably a mile. A so mile. that was, that was good. And you mentioned um, some of the financial losses um, that happened uh, in the latter part of your father-in-law's life. How did that affect, did that affect the decision-making? Like if you hadn't lost that money, what do you think would have been different? Yeah, that's a good question. I think probably their retirement looked totally different um, than what they were planning on. Um, um, I'm not sure the total dollars they lost, but it was a lot of money. And um, I think probably if they could have went maybe to an assisted care slash even a condo early in their life, maybe um, they would have done that if they hadn't lost all that money. And on that note, if you're comfortable sharing, can you, do you have any lessons learned from how that happened? Was, was there something that could have been done to intervene or prevent that? Did the family look back and say, you know, do you have anything to share with anybody who's worried about that? Yeah, you know, I think, yeah, that it, that's a good question. Um, they, they kind of did their own thing. You know, I think my husband was, was there to, you know, if they had asked them for, you know, if he at, if the, if my in-laws had asked my husband for his advice, he probably would not have encouraged them with some of the decisions that they did. And by the time we found out about it, the money was gone. Hmm. So. And as far as um, you mentioned, your your husband has two, uh, one living or one living living sibling, correct? How did you do the division of labor or decision making? Or um, is that person out of town? That person is in town. Um, at right now, he, he is also um, struggling with health issues. But at the time of the parents, he. Um, yeah, he, he, my husband would talk with them, but they pretty much left my husband to do all the decisions, which was kind of hard. Um, for errands and getting stuff done, we took like a every other week um, thing. So I would do one week and then they would take care of the next week. So I didn't have to do everything. And if we called them and said, hey, we need your help doing this, they, they were pretty... Um, pretty willing to help. So you felt like it was generally, I don't know if fair is the right word, but generally distribution of reasonable distribution of support. There wasn't a lot of drama about that. Right. Yeah. No, they were pretty, they were pretty good. Um, They probably didn't communicate with us probably like what we probably would have liked to, you know, have them communicate with us. So that could have been improved, but yeah, basically my husband would get the information and then he would, you know, relay it on to, you know, his brother and they would talk about it and, and, and they, you know, they had a good relationship in that way. Um, so they made, the two brothers would make the decision what to do. 
And for you and your sister-in-law, so the people that married into the family, how was that handled? I, I know in some dy- some dynamics are different, right? So I'll, I can help or I, I have other things going on or I'm working or how did the married in people um, participate in, in caring for the, the parents? Yeah, sometimes it was hard because um, my, yeah, my mother-in-law tended to be kind of an ungracious person. And so, yeah, you sort of felt used a lot. And, um, you know, I tried to do everything with a, with a happy heart, but probably my attitude maybe wasn't, wasn't the best at times. Um, and, uh, yeah, she she was she she was a very difficult person to please. So that was kind of another, you know, a dynamic we had to kind of deal with. Yeah, and that, that's definitely an extra layer <laughs> on top of that. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, thanks for yeah. letting me answer those couple extra questions. So tell me about your parents. Okay, so uh, my parents, for the most part, um, they're very health, or they were very healthy. Uh, they lived a full and an independent life. They live probably a mile from us in the other direction that my husband's parents lived. Um, my mom is 89 now. Um, she's very sharp mentally. But in the last 15 years, she developed some more common age-related um, issues. Uh, first, she had some back issues. So she had a fusion in her back um, that helped her some, but she actually made the comment the other day, she probably wouldn't have gone through that um, if she, if she could have uh, made that choice again. Um, And then a few years after that uh, fusion, she developed some chest discomfort and she really didn't tell, tell us about it. She ignored it. Then finally, she did pursue it. And after several days, um, she had some testing and, and then she found her way to uh, a heart center and she ended up with a stent. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, she had a, a knee replacement. Um, but through all those episodes, she did well and she was able to return home, you know, each time from the hospital without going, you know, into any rehab or assisted living or anything. And then my father, about 10 years ago, um, we saw some changes in him. He is, he is 90. So he's about a year older than my mom. So about 80, he kind of became a little bit more withdrawn. Um, He didn't contribute to conversations as much. Like if you called their home, he would, you know, acknowledge you, but then he he tried to get rid of the phone call real quick and, you know, pass, pass you on to your mom or, you know, he just didn't want to talk. And that was unusual. Um, for him. To, what was that? And that was unusual for him. It was. Okay. And then he started doing some inappropriate things. Um, one, uh, <laughs> we were actually in Texas um, for a wedding and uh, my nephew's wedding and um, the bride had a cake and then a bunch of little cakes by her cake. And he just um, just helped himself before the bride cut the cake. And we were trying to tell him, hey, you got to wait till the bride cuts the cake. And oh, he uh, he got very angry with us. And, you know, you couldn't correct him. 
so he, he tended to get kind of angry. Um, his eye start, his eyesight started failing. He was um, diagnosed with uh, macular degeneration and um, his driving became more aggressive. And um, then with his, uh, he went to a medical doctor and then they just diagnosed him with uh, mild age related uh, dementia. But we kind of felt definitely um, it was worse than mild. And then a couple years later, he was diagnosed with the Alzheimer's um, diagnosis. And for the last three years, he's been on a significant decline. I mean, he's just not the person we, we know. Um, and then what was hard, um, because of his uh, diminished eyesight and his cognitive issues, you know, I totally felt he should not be driving. And so I gave my husband this job of turning him into the state. Um, you can do that online. And um, so they followed up on that and the state insisted that he needed a full test to maintain his license and he did not do the testing because he, he wouldn't have been able to pass anyway. So his license was revoked. And then because of his Alzheimer's, he really didn't understand um, that he couldn't drive. So he fought my mom, you know, verbally. He never hit my, he doesn't hit my mom, but he verbally. Um, he would, you know, be very agitated and swear at her, which is not him. Um, to drive. And so that was very hard on my mom to have to, you know, deal with that. Um, they still live in their own home. Um, my husband and I are their lifeline. Um, we pretty much every day I have her text me um, in the morning that she's doing okay. She's up and, you know, doing okay. Um, we help them with their errands, um, house street maintenance, we're there a lot. Um, I do bring over some meals, not all the time. She does still cook her meals. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a burden to just, my worry with that is if something happens to my mom, my dad would not know what to do. You mean like if she if, had like a health event in right, the house? She would, if she pass away or fall, couldn't get up, couldn't communicate, he would not know how to call for help. He would not be able to process, um, you know, I need to go to the neighbor and get help. He wouldn't be able to do that. Right. And so that has been a big stress you know, to us, because we feel we can't go away far. We do have a little vacation home an hour away. But just a couple weeks ago, we went up there and we have a landline because we don't get good cell coverage. And the landline wasn't working. So we had to pack up and go back home because I said to my husband, I can't be here and enjoy being here, knowing my mom can't get a hold of us. Um, I have one sister and she is, she lives in the Houston area. So she's 1200 miles away. Um, she, 
she is very good at calling them and, um, but yeah, she's 1200 miles away. There's not a whole lot she can do. Um, she tries to come maybe once every three to four months, which I really appreciate. She stays with them for a few days and just kind of evaluates, are they okay? Um, but yeah, then she gets back on the plane and goes away. So kind of leaves me like, yeah, I'm the kid that gets stuck with, you know, having to do everything and to worry about the parent and, um, and my, yeah, my mom is very adamant. She does not want to go into assisted living facility. She likes her home. Um, she knows if they both went as a couple, my dad would probably be locked up in an area she wouldn't want to live at. Um, and then when COVID hit, that also made her keep the idea, I do not want to go anywhere. If I go anywhere, I'm isolated in this place. I don't want to be, and my family can't see me. So that was another, that did not help, um, you know, the situation of, hey, you guys maybe should be in a safer place to live. So. And is she still driving or, or not? She's not driving anymore. She, she is driving. It, okay. That also does worry me because she is starting to have some eye issues, but cognitively she is is good now if she has to go any place like across town um I really encourage her to to call me and um, I said I will gladly take you wherever you need to go but she will get into the car and she will go to church she will go to the um, grocery store um she claims she feels comfortable but yeah um, so when you, you and your husband or your family decided to call and, um, report the driver's license for your father, was there any family support for that? Was everybody on the same page? Was it difficult? I mean, I know it would be difficult anyway, because of the situation with him, but the decision to, to take that step was that, how did that work out? Yeah, I think every, yeah, my sister, um, was very supportive of that. And, um, my mom, I did tell her about that, that we were going to do that. She was at first reluctant, but then she also agreed. Yeah, that's probably appropriate to do. Um, yeah, she then later after her, the license was taken away, she actually shared with me. Yeah. One of the last times out with him, he was crossing a railroad um, crossing and the lights had gone on, on for a train, the gates were coming down and he said, oh, I can beat this train. And he actually went through the, the intersection of the train um, crossing with the gates coming down. And my mom saw, she said, I saw the train coming. So um, yeah, so he just made oh, wow. really bad decisions. So as far as you mentioned, one thing that keeps you up or keeps you worried, which is you're, you're their lifeline. And if something happened to your mom, then your dad wouldn't know what to do. And so you want to remain available to assist with that. Could you give me one or two other things that really keep you nervous or worried? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably the biggest thing that they get themselves into a crisis and um, 
like I said to my husband, they're, they're, they're one crisis away from a disaster. And um, so that, yeah, so that's always in my mind. And I think because of who I am, my personality, and I was a, you know, I was a nurse. So I had a coworker once laugh at me and said, you always think the worst case scenario and then you work back words like you know if I walked into a patient room and they were having trouble breathing my first um my first thought was oh my goodness they have a pulmonary embolus well then when I determined they were not and ended up being they just had to get out of bed and walk because they had gas um, you know, I always would think the worst. So like with my parents, I'm always thinking, yeah, my mom goes out to her yard to, to weed her leaves and she's going to, you know, fall over and she can't get in. And when I drop them off at, at home, you know, the garage door goes up and I like have to watch them get into the house with the door shut. So I know they don't fall in the garage and stuck out in the garage. You know, it's just... I'm just kind of that personality and I, that's not good. How much time would you say you spend on a weekly basis um, supporting them? What does that look like? It can go in stages, some weeks, not, not a whole lot, just phone calls, make sure they're good. Might run to the grocery store for them, but usually I do that with my own stuff I need. Um, and then there are some weeks that we are there every day. Um, just, you know, something broke in the house or, yeah, my husband gets stuck a lot with, you know, just maintenance type stuff because my dad totally couldn't, couldn't do it. And if he did, he would really screw it up. So, um, yeah, so it depends. There might be some weeks that we're there helping several hours and then there's some weeks that it's just a phone call or picking up stuff from the store. One of, one of the things I really like to differentiate is when we think about the, the kind of things that you're doing is we, we tend to think a lot in terms of actual caregiving hours, like how many hours are you in the home or traveling with somebody. But what I find is that that's not really ever the whole picture, that there's also an attention um, cost or number of hours that you're not in contact with them, you got the text message in the morning or the phone call in the morning and everything's fine, nothing's going on, but that the attention throughout the day is what if, what if the kind of the scenarios you came up with. So how much attention would you say on a daily basis does that occupy in your brain um, thinking about your parents? Okay. Yeah, that's a fair question. I think probably, I would say probably 50%, you know, a lot. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I said to my husband too is, you know, I feel sorry for them in the, you know, the, the life my mom has to live. She, you know, it's, it's very difficult to take my dad anywhere. Like even um, she has found bringing him to church, he gets nothing out of it anymore. So she finds it's much easier just to stay home and, um, you know, worship from the radio and, um, because yeah he is 
he's just obsessed in church. He's not even listening. Nothing, nothing penetrates. So basically it would be great for her to go to church to get, um, yeah, just get the support from, you know, her church family, but she chooses it's easier just to stay home. So then if I go to church and she's not there, I feel bad for her. And so I, I have offered to, you know, mom, you need to go to church. I'll stay with dad. And, um, she always says, no, 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 you just go. But then if we're out and we're enjoying a nice restaurant, I'll have this guilt feeling of, oh, my parents, they would love it here, but you know, they're not. And so, so a lot of times my happy times, I have guilt because they're home and I'm not. Hmm. Did you have that a lot when you were younger? Like, were you the hyper responsible child that was always sort of making sure there's enough gas in the car and everybody's taken care of. Was that your personality? Yeah, probably not. I think it just kind of evolved, you know, as, as I um, see my parents needs grow. Um, I probably feel more, more responsible for them. So um, as far as the resources they have available, um, if they did need to go to an assisted living or memory care or, hire some help in the house. One, are the resources available? And two, if they are, how receptive are they to, to those that kind of help? Yeah, and that's the other frustrating thing I've had to deal with. The, count, the county they live in um, actually offers um, two days, two hours per day uh, a week of free um care. They could call and um, line someone up to come into the home. And I talked to my mom about it and um, she wants no part of that. So that's kind of frustrating because everyone who has used this service speaks highly of it. Um, we did, during COVID, we did actually interview somebody that we heard of that worked on the side that came into a home and just helped with elder care. And this person came in and my husband and I went over to their house and we quite quickly um, realized that this person wasn't a good fit. So that was unfortunate because that kind of left my mom with a bad taste. Like, yeah, I don't want anyone to come into my house. And, um, and then with COVID, my mom also didn't want anyone to come into her house. In fact, her landline, um, yeah, something went awry with that. And um, so during, she didn't, she didn't not even want a repairman coming into her house. And so we actually started an eight, yeah, she was 87 at that time with a smartphone. So, you know, I have to hand it to my mom. <laughs> We're trying to figure out and navigate a smartphone, but she, she tried, she did, she's doing better now, but um, yeah. So one of the things I like to do in these conversations is to go with some second and third order questions um, that kind of help us get to the more of the thoughts and feelings or emotions that are driving some of this. So if, if there if there is a resource that your mom could 
employ to have somebody come to the home so she could go have lunch with you or go to the dinner or something like that. And she's not accepting of it. How do you reconcile that with, there is an option. And, and like you explained there, she's uh, got, you know, some opposition to having people in the home, which I, I totally understand. Um, but how do you put those two together? So there, there may be, there are resources, there are people, you could go another round and, and get somebody that could be caring and help with your dad. Um, and then she could go to church or she could go to these dinners, but she's not. Um, what, what does your brain tell you about that? Yeah, that's, it's very frustrating. And um, yeah, I, I become very irritated with that because there are resources out there and she can talk herself out of anything. And um, my husband will laugh when he's in the other room and I'm trying to sell her on an idea. We have a great um, center in our town um, for a daycare for um, dementia people. And she tried it for just a short period and he got very angry with her and did not want to go. And so she just gave it up and no, nope, that's it. Not, not going to do it. And then, uh, yeah, the beginning of this year, she was really struggling with him. And so she said, yep, beginning of the year, I'm going to sign him up to go back to that um, center. And I just said, good. You know, we were quite excited. But then as the uh, new year rolled around, nope, she didn't. And talked herself right out of it. And um, she can give you a whole pile of reasons why she doesn't want to want to do something. Right, right. Um. And I, I think I'm going to go back and dig a little deeper there too. But one thing I wanted to ask is you, you said we're one crisis away from a disaster. Um, and you mentioned, so your mom falling outside or those types of things. Um, what do you make that mean? Like if, if, if she were to fall and nobody knew or you couldn't get a hold of her and she had some complications from that, like what, what are you what are you making that mean? Like, what, what are you worried about? What, what keeps you up other than obviously nobody wants anybody to fall or to be alone when they fall. It seems like there's something extra there. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, um, yeah. Worry that she'll, she'll fall. Well, one, one thing I've been kind of really on her case with is in her basement, she has, they have a little office room that they've done bookkeeping, you know, for, they've lived in this house probably 40 years. And she will not let me bring her checkbook and all this stuff upstairs. And I have, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. And she says, Nope, I can go down the steps just fine. And um, she has a way that she goes down that she feels safe. But I personally feel an older person who, yeah, has some mobility issues shouldn't be going in their basements. We, I know two people personally um, that were found dead in their basement because they had to go downstairs. Yeah, I don't know what happened if they fell down their steps or what happened to them, but they were found by family members a couple days later. And so, yeah, I don't want 
that to happen to my parent. And I think that's, I guess, my driving force of why I get upset when I you know, can't get a hold of them. If I can't get a hold of them, I'll give them an hour. I'll call them again. If I, they don't answer, you know, I physically go over there and um, yeah. So you, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper here on this one too. So you don't want that to happen. Right. right. How are you, how would you feel if that happened? It's obviously happened at least two times that you know of. Yeah. Oh, I would, I would feel just horrible, you know, like, wow, they, their life ended in agony and I wasn't there and, um, you know, how sad and yeah, I probably feel guilt, um, that they were on, in an unsafe, they shouldn't have been home. And I, I let them carry out their wishes and be home and, you know, just, yeah, I, I guess I would just feel guilt. So I want to unpack some of this. And I think this is really the the nitty gritty here, which is, um, and I'm not trying to pick on you at all. I just wanted to pick apart some of the thoughts that that drive some of the emotions that you're talking about, which is that you let them live at home. Right. And the truth is, in every state in the United States, if your mom is competent, that isn't really a, a decision that exactly. let would would that that verbiage would mean that there's a, a group decision and and you don't kidnap her and take her to an assisted living in which you would have right. to go to prison for that. And so, and I know that a lot of people feel this level of responsibility that, well, I could harass my parent into a safer situation, right? But you right. have a parent who you've, you know, described as very mentally sharp, very with it, who's can be made well aware of the basement issues and the stair issues and that, that her autonomy and the agency she has over her life and her space is, I want to go into the basement to do my checkbook. Um, right. And it, it probably doesn't escape her that that's a higher risk activity than say sitting on the couch, but that's something that maybe none, nobody else can understand, but brings her some level of engagement, maybe escape, maybe value, maybe familiarity, whatever it is that she's engaging in an activity that has a risk. Right. Um, right. And if, right. We, if we extrapolate back and, uh, not to put on my, my clinical hat here. I mean, all activities have risk for us included. So we're all probably what you would say one crisis away from, you know, some disaster <laughs> and being in rehab. Yeah. Medicine, that's what we see is every single crisis and every single you know disaster. And, and I wonder how your brain looks at, if we look at this objectively, um, you know, she could fall in her bathroom. She could fall down the stairs. She could, uh, or none of these things could happen. But, but what seems certain is she knows what she wants for her life. Um, but then your brain goes, it seems to be pushing sort of a, a different gear, which is um, trying to control an outcome with the activities of whom actually belong to her, right? So the, right. the decision of the activities and whatever outcomes are associated with that, and almost every activity will have some trade-off and risk. And so I, I think the core of it, and, and I'm glad you you got there, which is I would feel guilty. And what, yeah. what I think we, and again, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I find this is fascinating and my, my brain does this as well, is it feels very good to say, I really want the best for this significant elder, my parent, and I don't want this to happen. And if we don't question that and go a little bit deeper, the truth comes out, which is we're afraid of how we would feel if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it sounds a little less 
you know, I don't know what you would call it, martyrish to me when I do it myself. Well, I really don't want that to happen to that parent because I just care so much about that parent. And that can be true as well. But what I find when I really shine some light on it is it's really a selfish thought, which is, geez, how bad am I? They're already going to be gone, right? (laughs) In this scenario, they're, they're going to have, you know, ended and their life will have ended one way or the other. But if that's the way that it ends, um, and then I live with the guilt. And so I'm trying to control that behavior and that decision making yeah. so that I don't feel guilty later. But yeah. as with everything in life, every time you get in a car, you accept the risk of, you know, being in a car accident. And we accept risk on a daily basis because we have some agency in our brain that says this is the activity and, and I'm going to accept this. And um, but we seem to lose some of that when we have people that we care tremendously about that are the risk trade-offs as they age, keep getting more and more, um, you know, the likelihood change or the, the consequences change. But the, but the truth is, and the way we look at it even medically is, you know, obviously people make their own decisions. They can leave the hospital without, you know, doctor approval that's against medical advice. And, and that can be so hard. And I feel like I, I'm really interested in, in how much extra suffering comes to the adult child over this brains proposing, um, you know, whether or not we, you know, let them stay at home or let them go down the stairs. And that verbiage is really, um, the idea is that she's, you know, you know, fully making these decisions and accepting those risks. And that that's actually a beautiful thing that she's at this age and still able to make those decisions. So I know that's a whole lot of philosophizing, but how did your brain sort of um, think about it in those terms? Yeah. Now, when you put it that way, you know, I guess she is responsible for her, you know, her, what she does. And, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I, I guess she just needs to know, you know, I'm there to help. Um, and yeah, and I think if, if, if my mom didn't have my dad so dependent on her as well, um, you know, I'm, kind of the other worry I have is something happens to my mom in what, what would my dad do? And so, you know, if he wasn't in the picture, maybe I wouldn't be as concerned. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, he's a vulnerable adult. Uh, he, right. you know, isn't able to, to act on his own. Um, and, and, you know, you checking in with him as part of how the, you know, there's the things we can control and the things that we can't. And right. that really gets muddy um, with yeah. aging parents. And we yeah. uh, sort of perceive we can control more things than we can, um, which I think causes some additional caregiver stress that maybe, you know, I want, want to be a part of sort of sorting out uh, on that end. But you're right. And every family goes with what if, what if. And and the right. main things that we have, like you said, are is a consistent, there's a plan, there's a a family member that checks on them. And then also, which it doesn't sound like you have a lot of yet, um, or at least your mom isn't accepting of too much yet, which is technology, right? right. Which is um, a smart Apple watch that will say that somebody has fallen down the stairs and alert, you know, other people, um, sure. you know, uh, an Alexa unit where you could, you know, come sound like, you know, a God from the sky calling in and <laughs> saying, dad, how are you doing? And 
he doesn't have to operate a phone. He can, you know, say something. And I'm not saying these are all perfect examples, but like, you know, there's a little bit of technology that can wrap around some of this. And yeah. some of it is just um, one of the best ways I heard it explained. There's, you know, my business, which is what I can control, someone else's business, and then God's business. And it's always one of those three. Yeah. And to me, you're at a point at that age group where there's a lot more God's business than maybe there is in a, in your 40s or 50s, right? And right. that's your medical events. That's just, you know, things that happen. And so, um, you know, I, I think of it very similar to, to maybe when we're raising children and, you know, you baby proof as much as you can, but, um, the, but the suffering of um, going through that, and that's the part I really want to try to look at mitigating that we can mitigate all of it. And you're always going to worry um, right. about your mom, but it sounds like you've just done um, a lot of what we would call like reasonable measures to, to try to give them the highest quality of life while they're there. Um, and I can understand to be frustrating if you're trying to spend more time with your mom or have your mom participate in activities um, that you think she'd enjoy. Um, but the resource implementation is the problem. It sounds like not the resource availability, which is a whole other different issue in rural areas. You're not going to have as much resource availability, but if there is sort of a respite team that can come or caregivers in the area, um, let me say that again, since my dogs are barking. Um, so a respite team that can come or caregivers in the area, um, and, and she's unable, unwilling, however you want to describe it to use those, um, then that, that I know that can be tough too. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is an ideal, um, into the story as far as, um, you know, with, with your parents, when you, when you sit down and you worry, but you think, you know, here's what I really want to happen. What does that look like? Well, for my dad, I would just love him someday just to slip quietly away in his sleep. Um, he had his, my dad's father had that happen. And, you know, that's kind of a blessing. Um, you know, obviously, he if he got another medical diagnosis, we, we wouldn't, you know, pursue treatments with him. Um, so I just would like him to be, you know, comfortable and, um, and then my mom, I, yeah, I would love her to be able to maybe have a few more years. Now she's 89, you know, she's old, but, um, relatively, you know, her health is good. I would love her after my dad is gone to enjoy, um, you know, some, some years that she can actually go up you know, with us to the little vacation spot we have an hour away and to enjoy her great grandkids a little bit more. Um, and um, maybe someday, you know, she, she would choose to go to an assisted living facility. Um, but, um, you know, I want to respect her wishes if she doesn't. Um, it would, uh, I wish she could um, just feel comfortable with someone coming to assist her um, other than me. Um, that would be, that would be great. Um, you know, one thing I, I thought of, and, and I don't think they have this, but maybe they do, but it would be very costly. Um, my mom gets 
my mom doesn't mind dealing with my father during the day, but at night, um, you know, he tends to suffer from the sundowners and he's trying to pull the drapes at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I wish there was a place that he could go um, like after supper that he could be, be safe and she could just have a night's rest without yeah, worrying about him getting up. Sometimes she'll get up in the night and every light is on in the house. He hasn't wandered away, but, um, you know, just, I hate the, the, you know, she's always kind of on alert, um, with him. I wish there was a place that he could go that wasn't, you know, so cost costly that, you know, he could get rest maybe if he was going to sleep, but that my mother could get good rest. Well, what's the barrier for her right now? And having him go to a memory care unit, is it the cost or is it that she doesn't like them? Um, it sounds like she is requiring a significant amount of care. And he's past yeah. the threshold that many families would think, especially with yeah. your mom's health and trying to preserve that, that um, that would be an yeah, option. I think, I think um, probably she's, she's had some family members of my dad who actually all his brothers dealt with um, the Alzheimer's. So he had uh, three other brothers, two got Alzheimer's and one was killed in world war two. So I don't know what his outcome would have been, but all the family has told my mom, the worst thing they did was put their parents in the you know, in this assisted living facility, they wish they had kept them home. So that doesn't, you know, that doesn't help. Um, she does hear from other people that the care in facilities are, you know, less than, less than good. And um, so that's kind of sad too. Yeah. yeah. So she has input that makes her, that, that influences that decision, which is right. ultimately hers. I'm sure he, she is the decision maker for him. So Right. right. Um, interesting. Well, if you have any uh, advice for anybody that's sort of on the more beginning end of all this than you are. Um, yeah, I guess, it, you know, if you suspect your family member is struggling um, mentally, don't look the other way. Um, you know, we encourage my mom to bring my father into the neurologist um, long before she did finally bring him. Not that they can cure, you know, hopefully someday, you know, there's studies coming out that, uh, you know, there's positive things coming out with Alzheimer's, but maybe our grandkids will benefit from that. I don't know, but um, just don't ignore when you see bizarre behavior because, yeah, maybe there's some medication they can go on um, that can help, you know, just dealing with their diagnosis and the anxiety that, you know, they go through, um, you know, and, and the thing that bringing my dad to the neurologist, my mom says, they're so caring and they know exactly where he is on his journey and they're very supportive. So it's just really good to, um, you know, get the support from, you know, people around you that know and, or have walked the journey. 
What's one thing you admire about your mom and then one thing you admire about your dad? Oh yeah, no, my parents were, were the best. And, and, you know, I, um, yeah, my mom is very determined. Um, she's very smart. She, she's very loved. In fact, every night, um, probably 95% of the times my daughter who lives about an hour and a half away from where we live, she FaceTimes my mom because she knows my mom loves the little kids and it's usually at bath time. And, um, so if they're home, they FaceTime great grandma and they're all talking and, and, um, just, you know, um, sometimes the visits are really positive. Sometimes the kids are all crabby and it's not so good, but that just gives my mom just a boost of, of happiness. So, um, so I, yeah, I just admire my mom. You know, she can have a horrible day with my dad, but she will, she will look for the positives. And um, she found a, a little um, box. My son-in-law was over at their house a week or so ago, and he pulled out a box of old love letters that they, um, my parents wrote back and forth. And um, she, she's gotten great delight on reading what, you know, how they began their, um, their life. And um, I think it's helped her to deal with yeah. the difficult days. Um, so yeah, I admire that. She, she looks for the positives. I did want to circle back, um, to one thing you said, which was about going to your vacation house and how you feel like you can't really relax. Um, can you think of any alternatives? Could, could you have a sibling that was on call or a neighbor or somebody that would, that you could hand that off to, and then you'd be able to relax? What would that look like? Yeah. Um, I actually did um, talk to a neighbor who is a real sweet woman that lives next to them. And um, I am, I'm going to get, get her a house key made. And um, I asked her cause she found out we had to come home um, because our landline wasn't working and she felt bad. So now she knows the key to their garage and usually inside they have their door open and so, yeah, that kind of gave me a little bit more relief that this, this gal is really ready. You know, she's there if, if need be, she will help. So that, that did help a little bit. And then even your sister, right? I mean, if, even if she's remote could call and get some emergency services if needed. I mean, yeah, the same. I mean, obviously she couldn't pop over really quickly, but if it was, you know, an, an event, um, she'd be able yep. to call someone. Yeah, she could. Yeah. So, so if you are able to get that weekend away, I want you to send me a, an email or a text message. I'd like to know okay. <laughs> how it went for you. Um, and I just thank you. Thank you for sharing this beautiful story about your parents and your in-laws. And um, as you know, the, the mission here is to just keep sharing stories, have conversations and um, yeah. learn from each other. Good. So thank you so much. Good. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Okay. Bye.